want to say hello real quick to all of our campuses. Let's give it up for our God Behind Bars guys as well. We love you guys. Grateful for you. I am excited about this series because I don't know about you, but I need to change. I've got some areas in my life that I'm working on, and maybe you're the same way. But just turn to the person next to you right now and let them know because it's a new series called I Need to Change. Just point to them right now with the most judgmental face you can and say, you need to hear this. Just let them know right now. <laughs> we all need to hear this, don't we? We all need to change in some area of our life. Do me a favor, plot your notes if you would. And as you do that, I want to say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for being a part of our services today. The Apostle Paul has this very famous line, he says, and I wanna read it. He says this, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. You ever been there? Anybody relate to this? Can anybody relate to your own humanity? You're like, why do I do what I don't wanna do, and what I do wanna do, I don't do it right? It's just as frustrating. So like in the abstract, I know I should do this, but then I don't do it. Like in the abstract, I know I should eat a salad, but man, I really just want Twinkies. You know what I'm saying? Like in the abstract, I know I should be generous, but I just got paid and I want to go to the mall, right? In the abstract, I know I should pray and open my Bible, but I really just rather just flip through Instagram. I mean, isn't it funny how we, we know what we should be doing, but then we're, we're not doing it. And this is where we, we all need to change. And so we're going to talk about this in the next few weeks about how do you actually change? And there, there is a process of that. The Bible talks a lot about this. In fact, I was reading a book on from clinical psychologists that have discovered from thousands of people uh, that have discovered how to make major changes in their life. They all stumbled upon about the same six things they're doing over and over again. I looked at all six of those things, and guess what? Surprise, surprise, they're all found in the Bible, every one of them. So I'm going to unpack those over the next few weeks, and so really hope you stay with us for this whole thing. Uh, just the other day, we have our family in town with us, and so we've been out at the beach uh, just enjoying being with them, and, and so we ran to beach house. We've all been hanging out. The other day, we went out, and some of the uh, younger kids went surfing, uh, some boogie boarding, and then the older ones stayed and played football. So we're playing football, and I've got my brother-in-law with me, and we're, we're you know, playing a friendly game of, of football, getting a little competitive, having fun. As we're doing that, before I started, we started just throwing the ball around. So I had the ball in my hand, I threw it to one of my nephews, and, and it was a terrible throw. I was like, oh, wow, that was really bad. <laughs> throw me that again. Okay, so I got the ball again. I threw it again, also terrible. I was like, wow. So then I start making excuses. Yeah, it's been a while since I've played ball. You know, I'm trying to, trying to excuse my horrible throwing. I'm like, this is terrible. He throws it to me again. Finally, I realized what's going on. I was like, hey, Let's switch places. So he's like, looks at me like, okay. So we switch places and now I throw the ball, it's like a perfect spiral. I was like, that's what I'm talking about right there. I had the wind to my back when I finally switched places and I was throwing in the wind and it was horrible. I mean, it was going nowhere, it looked disastrous. I was like, wow, this is, I'm really bad at this. But I realized that it was just once I got the wind behind me and it was supporting me, man, the throws were way, way better. I wonder if change is like that. I wonder if we think change is so hard because we keep throwing against the wind. What if there was a way to line up the scripture and actually get it all going towards us in the right directions where we were working with God's word, working with the principles of change to where change wouldn't be that hard? That's what this series is all about. Because I bet you're like me, you've been trying to change and you're just throwing against the wind. You're wondering why is this not working? So let's get it working in the right direction. It's very, very possible to get it going in the right direction. Like, I want to lose weight, right? Or I want to, you know, get in better shape. I want to, I want to be healthier. Maybe you say, I want to get close to God. Or I want to, you know, turn my marriage around. I want to quit being so negative and become positive and full of faith. Whatever it is that you want to change in your life, this series is for you. So please pull out your notes. I want to give you some things to write down. I'm very excited 
about this whole series because I believe that we all want to change in some area. I looked at my, my sons. They both had their shirts off at the beach. I was like, I want to change into that. That's what I want to change into. Muscle and Cole have places with muscle. I don't have places. You know what I'm saying? Like, I kept my shirt on because if I take my shirt off at the beach, people gather around me. They're like, push it back in the water before it dies. It's bad. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, funny for you. Okay. Um, so how do we make these changes? Well, Ephesians 5 talks all about this. So we're going we're to really kind of park in Ephesians 5 today. Gives you some great insight into how we can make these changes. Look at this. It says in Scripture, it says, Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. Now, it says ungodly. It doesn't say non-Christian. So you can actually be a Christian and still be doing just dumb things that, that you don't want to do. He says, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. You know, light really does that. See, the thing is, a lot of the things that we do that we want to change, the reason we keep doing it is because we keep them in the dark. We kind of keep it a secret. We don't want to tell anyone what we're really doing. And so that's where something can, keep, can stay alive in your life is if you keep it a secret rather than exposing it to God's truth and telling the truth on yourself. So what we all really need is an epiphany. An epiphany by definition means this. It means an illuminating discovery, realization, or disclosure. It's when we kind of wake up to something and see it with a new set of eyes. And so would you write this down? What you and I really need is an epiphany. An epiphany is when we recognize something in ourselves that needs a change. We kind of wake up to it and realize, wow, I need to make a change here. So we need an epiphany to break out of what we call our automatic self. Psychologists call this the automatic self. Really, that just we could also call it the sinful nature, like the Bible calls it. But we, we just kind of do things on automatic mode. You know, I, I drove here this morning, and I didn't have to think about driving. I didn't have to say, okay, now, once I start the car, I need to put it in reverse and, and watch where I'm going and back up. I just knew to do all that. I didn't have to think about it. When I was turning the car, I didn't have to think, okay, one hand over the other, keep both hands on the wheel. I didn't have to think about all that. It's just, it's natural. It's normal. I bet if you drive, it's pretty normal now to do that. I hope it is. If it's not, please let me know. I want to be very careful around you. Right, but it's kind of just normal now. It's just what you do. It's become an automatic part of what you do. You don't have to think about it. I don't have to get up. I don't think about, okay, I need to make sure I breathe in again, make sure I breathe out again, make sure I breathe in again. My body just knows to do that. It's an automatic thing. So uh, the, the automatic self is a very good thing, but unfortunately we have some habits we picked up that have become automatic also, right? I have a good buddy. He's in really, really great shape. And he told me this. He said, honestly, when I look, this is what he told me. He said, when I look at a salad, my mouth waters. I'm like, you are an alien. My mouth is not watered. When I look at a donut, my mouth waters. And I think it's God's will. I was circling around the, the donut shop the other day and praying, God, you want me to have a donut? And after the 16th time around, a parking space became available. I was like, this is God's will. The thing is, is that I don't, I don't understand that. And he told me, he said, if you'll eat the right foods long enough, you'll eventually crave them. It'll become automated that you'll want to eat good. I'm like, yeah, again, don't get that at all. Nothing in me understands that. You know, like, it's a wonderful thing. But what he's saying is your habits eventually take over. But it, it's, it's getting there that's the challenge, right? So I thought about the automatic self. You know, it kind of reminds me of the word autopilot. So I looked up autopilot. And autopilot is something that professional uh, pilots use, and a lot of planes have it, not all of them, but a lot of planes have it to where you can, you can set it on autopilot, very much like you can set your car to a certain speed. Once you get up to it, you just set it, right? You put on cruise control, is what we call it. Well, autopilot's very similar, but it's, but it's, very, it's much more complicated, of course, because you're flying a plane, but it's very similar in its use. 
So I looked it up and I thought, that's interesting, because I, I know some people would say, why don't we pay all this money to these pilots? I mean, they just, the, the planes pr practically fly themselves now. So why, is it, why do they have to do all this? Well, first of all, they don't. In fact, I looked up the autopilot, and actually it's very sophisticated, very complicated. And the first thing they do is once they get the plane up in the air, they do that all manually. Then once it's up in the air at a certain altitude, they set the autopilot, but then they always have to be watching the gauges and watching where it's going. Very much like your cruise control. You can set it, but you're not just gonna put it on cruise control and go take a nap. No way, you'll crash, because you'll come up on a car in front of you, you gotta tap the brakes to slow down, or maybe you speed up, right? You have to watch it, you have to still steer the steering wheel. Autopilot's very similar in a plane. So it's great, it's a sophisticated system that helps fly the plane. In the same way that once you get going in a certain direction, then you can eventually hit it on autopilot once you do it long enough. But initially, to get going in the right direction, you have to set the direction of the autopilot you want. You have to create those new habits. It's interesting that you know that, that pilots are not legally allowed to have one-on-one -on -one private conversations with each other until a plane is over 10,000 feet in the air. In other words, don't get casual until you get up where you need to be. Then you can get a little more casual, hit 10,000 feet, turn to each other and be like, how's your family? But until then, you have to be totally focused, get it up in the right direction, check all the gauges, make everything's working right. Then you can set the autopilot. Then and only then can you say, hey, man, did you catch a game the other night? only after you're at a certain height. I wonder if you and I start off in, in the right direction, but we, we think autopilot's gonna kick in faster than it does. In other words, could it be that we need to quit being so casual with our direction and be very intentional and be vigilant, and then eventually, over time, it kicks in to where that just becomes normal to pray, normal to forgive, Normal to keep my voice down and not lose my temper. Normal to go to God. Normal to block myself from looking at things I shouldn't look at, reading things I shouldn't read. Normal for me to honor God. Normal for me to tithe. But at first, I gotta be really vigilant and, and, and create that habit. And then eventually that habit kicks in in the right direction, but not at first. So autopilot works when you set the direction, but it just takes a while for that to kick in. So we first need an epiphany uh, Tolstoy once said this, everybody thinks of changing humanity, nobody thinks of changing himself. Isn't that true? We all want other people to change. You know, I, I can tell you exactly where my spouse and my kids need to change, right? I just don't want to change me. But it's funny because if I ask them where I need to change, they all know where I need to change, right? That's how that works. We always see it in other people before we see it in ourselves. So we have to be willing to make those changes in ourselves and say, okay, I need to make this change. By the way, next week, I want to encourage you to continue to be here. Next week, I'm talking about the biggest success secret to change, how you can change rapidly. Next week, be sure to be here. We're going to unpack that. I'm very, very excited about that. So you need to have an epiphany and understand we've got to change the direction of our automatic self. And look what it goes on to say in Scripture, verse 14. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you life. Hey, wake up. Get up. Get going. You ever had someone wake you up? Hey, get up, right? They jolt you, they shake you. You're like, whoa, 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 right? This is awake, oh sleeper. Now, we don't know if this person's actually asleep or maybe they're just kind of sleepwalking me and they're just kind of going through life. They say, hey, wake up, look at the direction you're going. Oh, 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 sorry, what, what am I doing? What happens is we need a wake-up call. That's what the scripture is all about. And so what would that mean for you and I today in a practical way when it comes to changing our lives? Would you write this down, number two? Face the truth of your default future versus your desired future. 
You need to wake up to the direction you're going. So what that means is that we all have a default future where our automatic self just takes over. And if you change nothing, where will you end up? If you change nothing in your eating habits, how much are you gonna weigh in 10 years? You change nothing in your attitude, what's your marriage gonna look like in 10 years? If you change nothing about your finances, will you be ready for retirement or not ready for retirement? If you change nothing about your walk with God, will you be close to God or far from God a few years from now? So when you think about that, you know, what direction are you going? It, it forces the future into today because we typically think we always have enough time. Someone once told me procrastination is the thief of time. Of course, we know who the thief in the Bible is, right? It's the devil. One of the things the devil does, the devil will steal your tomorrow by making you think you'll always have one. We don't always have one. We just don't really know how much time we have. And so we want to, to have a sense of urgency about what we do. We need to face the fact that there is a default future that we're headed towards right now based upon what we're currently doing. And this is a wake-up call to say, okay, you know what, I don't want to end up there. And so maybe, maybe this will help. I, I just wrote this sentence out, and you can write this down too. If I keep doing this, I'll end up blank, right? Let me just help you out. If I keep spending this much money, I'll go broke. If I keep uh, talking to my spouse this way, I'll end up divorced. If I keep uh, showing up late at work, I'll lose my job. If I keep eating like this, I'll end up with heart disease or diabetes. If I keep doing this habit, it will ruin my life, right? So if I keep doing this, this is the result. But here's the good news. If I change my finances, if I change and start a savings plan, I'll end up with this much money one day. If I change my habit of sleeping in Sundays and start coming to God's house every week, I'll end up close to God. If I change how I approach my spouse, I'll be married happily over time. If I'll change the way I take care of my body, I'll have health and be able to know my grandchildren. And so we can really change our futures by asking that simple question. What we have to do is keep the truth in front of us and keep remembering where we're headed. Otherwise, we, the automatic self takes over and takes us in the, the wrong direction. God wants you to go in the right direction. So look at the scripture goes on to say, this is interesting. So here's how it gets real practical. You guys ready? Okay, you guys got to help me here. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. So we, we already know we need to, to have an epiphany. We need to face the truth of our default future. And this is number three. Would you write this down? Learn the skills of change to take away the power, uh, its power to be difficult. See, the reason why change seems so difficult is because we don't have any skills to back it up. But once you learn the skills needed to make the change you need, it's, it's not that difficult. And so you may think, well, what are those skills? Well, it's hard for me to give all the skills to change in a general way because I'm not sure what change you need to make. They're very specific. But the one thing we're not lacking in the world today is knowledge. You can Google anything you want to Google and something within you know, half a second will pop up telling you how to do that. So the one thing we don't need to know, I just, I just don't know how to lose weight. Click how to lose weight. There'll only be about 2.5 million responses, right? The one thing we're not lacking is knowledge. What we are lacking in today's society is wisdom. See, there's knowledge everywhere, but there's not common sense everywhere. There's knowledge everywhere, there's not wisdom everywhere. So can I give you a definition of wisdom real quick? We may want to write this down. Here's a simple definition of wisdom. It means applied knowledge. So a lot of people know what to do, they just haven't done it. Or a lot of people want to make a change, they don't know what to do. So which one is it that you're falling into, right? Like, I know what to do, I'm just not doing it. Or I'm, I want to do something, but I keep trying something that's just not not working, right? So we have to have applied knowledge. And so what we have is a knowledge gap. It says in scripture in Ephesians 5, it says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise 
Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So in the past, I have struggled with depression and uh, I had to overcome my own depression. Now, let me be real clear. I, I don't have clinical depression. I do not have bipolar or anything like that. I'm not knocking those who do. I'm just trying to explain real quick before I explain how I overcame my depression that if you have a clinical depression, you need to go see a doctor for that, okay? You're not gonna pray that away. There's a hormone, chemical imbalance in your body. Go see a doctor under a physician's care. You can get some help, and it is just as spiritual to take that pill as it is to pray and seek the Lord because God's bringing a solution to your life, okay? So it's a great thing to do that. Nothing wrong with that. Now, having said that, some of us maybe don't have to take a pill there may be some simpler things you can do. So for me, I learned really fast, one thing that led to depression in my life was too much comparison. I was comparing my life to other people, and not only am I comparing my life to other people, I'm comparing my life to, to other people's highlight reels that aren't even true. So if you go to Facebook or Fakebook, if you go to Instagram or Instasham, and you watch all the pictures and the way people's lives seem so amazing, they're not that amazing. No one's life is that amazing all the time. You know, if you watch the red carpet, you know, specials on E or whatever channel they're on now, if you watch that stuff, that's like one night. The rest of the time, they're living in a trailer in some town they don't even know, memorizing lines, they go regurgitate the next morning. That's what actors do. But what we see is red carpet. Wow, it looks so cool. The truth is, it's kind of boring. I've been to a set. It wasn't that great. It kind of looked tiring. I was like, oh, this does not look fun. So and if that's what you want to do, great. Then you'll probably really like it, great. The point I'm trying to say is, is that if you look at someone's highlight reel, you'll always think, wow, my life is not as cool as theirs, right? Let's be honest. You take 60 pictures to get that one casual shot to post. <laughs> it's not normal. That's not really just you all the time. And so I found myself, I was depressed from that. Now, depression, by the way, I really believe is not just, an, again, setting aside the clinical depression, setting that aside. A lot of times people are depressed and they're down because not because they are down, but because they have what I call an uncontrolled, undisciplined mind. And so your mind undisciplined is just gonna go to what's ever in front of you. So if there's just nonstop, if you're just slipping through, you know, Instagram all day long or whatever app you're using, you're just doing all day long, of course you're gonna be depressed. Wow, look where they are there. Oh, look at there. Oh, wow, look how great their family looks. Oh, look at them, they look so in love. And look at there, they're in this place. I mean, good night. You'll be so depressed watching that all day long. Turn that off. So instead, Fill your mind with the things of God. God has a great plan for you. God's got a great future for your life. God, God's forgiven you. God's renewed you. God has a purpose for your life. Focus on all those things. If you'll do that, if you'll do that, you'll, you'll discover that you can overcome that too. But let me give you some knowledge gap examples. And so you may just have a knowledge gap in the change you wanna make. Here's a knowledge gap. Did you know, maybe you're trying to lose weight, get in better shape. Did you know that if you daily drink one can of Dr. Pepper or Coke or Sprite, just one can of sugary soda, pick the one of your choice, one can a day equals 15 pounds gained a year. Some of you are like, what? Yeah, that's a lot. And so maybe that's new to you, then that if you just make that one simple change, just the knowledge gap, you, you're drinking your calories. So you realize, wow, I need to quit doing that. I'm not saying not having occasional Coke, but all the time? It's, it's gonna lead you off course. That's a knowledge gap issue. Uh, how about this one? Did you know that unpaid credit cards double every four years? You know, when they send you the little letter that says, this is what you owe, but all you need to do is pay the minimum. Paying the minimum does not reduce what you owe at all. In fact, it'll double. And so ladies, that great deal you got on that dress is no longer a good deal. 
If you don't pay it off, you're paying double for that dress. So that sale no longer matters. So I don't care what you pay for it. it, it you just threw away money. I'm not just trying to pick on the ladies. I know men buy stuff too. It's 2019. Maybe a man buys a dress. I don't know. It could happen. I'm just saying. So <laughs> the point is this. That's a whole nother message series. Okay. The point is this, is that what was a good deal is no longer a good deal. So we just, we have to shorten the knowledge gap and recognize, wow, I didn't even know that if I was following the instructions on my credit card bill, that actually enriches them and makes me poorer. So again, it's a knowledge gap. Did you know that 70%, here's a knowledge gap, 70% of employees that know their boss is unhappy with their performance doesn't know how to fix it. 70% that know their boss is not happy with them. They don't actually know what to do to make them happier, to fix it, to, 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 to resolve the problem. They're underperforming. Now, this may sound really crazy and shocking to you, but here's what I think you should do. I think you should ask them. Just go to them. Some of you are like, oh, I can't admit it. I don't know what I'm doing. They already know. I'm sorry. I hate to tell you. Your performance is already showing that. So just admit it. Well, listen, I've been the employee who's had to go to the boss and be like, I really don't know what you want me to do next. I'm not sure what you want. But now I'm the employer, and I'm still an employee. I have a board of directors over me, but I'm also an employer. And I will tell you, when someone comes to me and says, I really don't know what you're looking for or what you need me to do next, I thank them when they say it. I'm like, thank you for the humility to be honest and just ask, let me tell you what we want you to do. We'll lay it out for you, make it real clear. And surprise, surprise, we're suddenly really happy with them because they're just doing what we asked. And so it may seem really simple, but you may have a knowledge gap at work. You may be like, I don't know what, it, what it's gonna take. I'm so frustrated. They just won't advance me. They just won't give me the promotion. Ask them why. And then you know, fill up, close the knowledge gaps where you know, oh, that's what you're looking for. Do those things and you'll suddenly see your life change in your career. So we oftentimes just have a knowledge gap. And this is another thing I wanna to mention too about this knowledge gap. There are thousands of people who have already overcome your problem. Just say this out loud with me. Would you say thousands of people have overcome my problem? Say that out loud. It's really true. There are thousands of people who, are, who were fatter than you that are now in great shape. Thousands of people who had a worse marriage than you that now are in love. Thousands of people that were farther from God than you've ever been that now are close to God. Thousands of people who are way more depressed than you are today that are now very happy, which means that if these people can make those changes and they were in a worse position than we're starting from, that leaves you and me with no excuse. You can do this. In fact, if you ever say, well, I, I, just, I can't change. I just can't change this here. I can't do it. You are violating scripture even saying that because the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can do it. You really can. We have, to remove, we have to remove the false belief that says we can't and know that we can. So quit saying, I can't do it, and start saying, how can I do it? This opens your mind to faith. You realize, okay, I can do it. Then start to ask the question, how can I do it? And here's a really great question to ask, how did someone else do it? If you ask that question, that's where you really get great answers. Okay, I got a friend. They've already done what I want to do. How did they do it? And if you'll mimic what they did, you'll get what they have. Because God's no respecter of persons. If you will apply the same principles that got them those results, you'll get those results too. All things considered equal. And so I just want to encourage you with that you, you can do this. It's very possible. We have to learn the skills of change. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. So you don't want to miss this message series. We're going to teach you the skills of change that work every time. And so again, not perfectly. People still have lapses. I'm not suggesting that you're going to have this perfect life afterwards, but you really can make the change you want to make. There was a guy who was a PhD, or so he thought, he was a PhD ABD. 
Now, those of you who are in your PhD program, you know what that means. That means I'm a PhD, ABD means all but dissertation, which is a nice fancy way of saying I'm actually not a PhD. And so what happens is they get all the way to the very end, they take all the classes, they pass all the classes, but they have to do a dissertation, which is typically hundreds of pages long, and then they're intimidated by that and they don't do it. So when they say, you know, how much education? Well, I'm a PhD, ABD, which is, which is like when the kid says, I'm almost, I'm nine and, and three-fourths old. You know, you're like, yeah, you're not 10, right? I mean, and so we tend to do that, right? I remember one time I, I got on a, on a I went into to the doctor and they put you on the scale the way you, and then they, they wanted to know how tall I was. And they said, oh yeah, you're 5'11", 3'4". So I was like, no, you're not writing that down. No, I'm the patient, six foot. Write that down right now. Because <laughs> I was six foot and I lost some inches. Somehow I lost them. I was like, what happened? This happens as you get older. You know, I was like, no. I said, I'm clearly over six foot with the fro. Come on. I got some height there. Come on, give it to me, right? Come on. So the point is this, is that I was, I'm just so close, right? And so this guy was a PhD, ABD, which means he was almost a doctor, but not quite. His, doc, his wife talked to him about it. He was an older guy at this point. He had kids and a family. His wife was like, sweetie, you're so close. You just got to do this. I mean, you just got to finish this. His boss came to him and said, hey, bro, you know that you started that PhD because we required it in this field. If you'll get that, you'll literally get paid more. He's like, you have no reason not to do this, man. And he's like, I know, it's just 180 pages is required from PhD. And that just, that's so intimidating to me. I just don't know how I can do it. He got so frustrated that he finally broke it down and realized I've got to make a change. So he took something intimidating and he chunked it down into bite-sized pieces. This is what he did. He went to a buddy of his that was also in the PhD program that was a doctor now that actually finished his dissertation. And he asked him, he said, hey, can I borrow your cap and gown? This is a true story. And he was like, sure, what for? You graduate? And he goes, no, no, I don't have my dissertation done yet, but can I just borrow it? He said, sure. So he put it on, and it had, it had the same tassels, the exact match, because this guy was in his PhD program, so it would be what he would wear if he graduated. And he put the, the cap and the gown on, and he got his wife to take a picture of him in it. All excited, rolled up his paper as if he had this degree, like, I have a PhD, right? Took a picture of it, then he got the picture blown up, and then he cut it into 90 different pieces. Then he made a commitment that he would write two pages a day on his dissertation for 90 straight days. And every single day after he finished that second page, he would take one of those little pieces that he had cut into 90 pieces and he'd attach it to a board. He would glue it. And then the next day he glued another piece. And eventually after 90 days, he had the whole picture done and he had his PhD done in 90 days. You can do this. You can get it done. Some of you need to begin to picture yourself sober. Picture yourself godly. Picture yourself honorable. Picture yourself with a close marriage. Maybe get a picture uh, when, when you guys went on some trip and you felt so close to one another. Get that picture and then begin to implement something daily to get back to that picture. But you can do this. You know that guy, got, his boss came to him after he got his PhD, he said, congratulations. He got a $10,000 raise on the spot. That's worth it right there, right? You're like, oh, I'll write, I'll write a book right now. I'll write a PhD dissertation. Let's do this, right? That's a lot of money. And so he realized that on the other side of this change, is all the things I'm looking for. And I bet on the other side of your change is what you're looking for too. So you really can make that change. And so last thing I wanna share with you is Ephesians chapter five. It says, don't be drunk with wine. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. That's quite a turn in the scripture there, right? All this verse is about, awake, oh sleeper, and you know, pursue the Lord, all these things about, don't act thoughtlessly, and then, oh yeah, don't get drunk. Right? That doesn't seem to fit. Why would that, be here. You know, whenever you see a scripture that doesn't seem to fit, there's a reason for it. You got to start asking, why would this be here? Could it be that God says, don't get drunk with wine because he knows that the vast majority of people that just let their automatic self take over fall into things like that? Let's be honest. Most of us, before we 
gave our lives to Christ, we're doing stupid things like that, right? Don't get drunk with wine. Like, that seems kind of out of nowhere. But back up, he says, okay, so know what the Lord's will is for your life. Don't act thoughtlessly, right? Live in wisdom, he says. Oh, hey, don't get drunk with wine. Why would he tie that together? It's almost like he's trying to say, look, if you go back to what you just automatically do on your own without pursuing God, this is the kind of stuff it leads to, right? So he says this, don't get drunk with wine. He says, because that will ruin your life. We could just take the first person part of that verse and maybe change it for you. Maybe it's not don't get drunk with wine. Maybe it's quit doing pot or you'll ruin your life. Uh, quit talking back to your parents or it's gonna ruin your life. Quit showing up late to work or it's gonna ruin your life. Quit, right, whatever you need to change, just put it in there. Quit eating like this, it's gonna ruin your life. You know, whatever it is you need to change, given enough time, it'll probably ruin your life. So he says, quit getting drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, why would God have drunkenness and, and, and being filled with the Holy Spirit? Then it says this, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your, in your hearts. Why, whoa, whoa, that doesn't make any sense that they would juxtapose drinking to worship. Unless we're drinking to get a high that we can always get in worship. All the things we fall into are just ripoffs of the real thing. Lust is a ripoff of a gift God gave you in marital sex. It's just a ripoff of that, right? Being greedy is just a ripoff of being blessed. Instead of being greedy and hoarding so you have something, give and then God will bless you with something, right? You name the area that you are falling into and it's just a ripoff of something that's a good gift that God wants to give you. So it's like, don't get drunk. You don't get drunk to, to have a high. You can actually work out, exercise. You get an exercise high, a runner's high, right? You know, also, you can, you can be high in the spirit of God in his presence. So those are good things. And so he says, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs among yourselves, making the music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That'll really help you, by the way. You want to really get over depression? Start becoming thankful. Thank God for all you have. You have a lot. God has blessed you with a lot. You're probably sitting by someone you're thankful for right now, right? We have a lot to be thankful for. Now, I want to tie all this together. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7. Let's go back to Apostle Paul where he seems so miserable. Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? Look what he says here. He devoted the whole chapter to this. So it must have been a big deal in his life. He says this in verse 24. This is towards the end of that chapter. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Another translation says, oh, what a wretched person I am. What a wretch. What a wretched person. I'm so miserable. I'm just so tired of being miserable. Ever felt that way? I mean, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I'm miserable. I hate my life. Wow. Paul says this. The apostle. The guy who wrote half the New Testament says, I'm miserable. So you can, you can know God and walk with God and be still miserable in some other area of your life. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he gives us an answer. He says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank God. There is an answer. He says, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. He says, I'm so miserable, but thank God for Jesus. Now, what I'm going to say next may seem counterintuitive. It may seem like opposite of what I've been teaching, but I want you to hear me out. I need to tell you this truth because this is the starting point over and over again when people change. This is where they start. So I want you to hear me loud and clear. You're not going to lock it about to say, but I want you to hear it. You ready? You ready to swallow a tough pill? Here it is, okay? 
I need to tell you this. You actually can't change. I just, I'm just going to tell you the truth. On your own, you can't. You're not that strong. You're not that good. You're not that sharp. You're, you just can't. And the reason I know you can't is because if you could, you already would have. That's why I know you can't. I can't either. If I could, I already would have. Thank God for Jesus. What we need is an outside source to enter our lives to give us the power, the wisdom, the endurance, the strength, the ability to change. And that's why Jesus gave his life. You can change because of him. So the last thing is this, number four. So what does this mean? Number four, surrender to God because you are powerless to change on your own. Why is it that secular organizations that aren't even focused on God already know this and yet we don't? I want to read something to you. These are uh, just three of the first steps in 12-step recovery according to Alcoholics Anonymous. Bill Wilson, co-founder, wrote these and I just find it interesting. I don't even know if the guy's a Christian or not, but yet he knows there's a God. So an organization that is not full of Christians, there are, I know there's Christians that, that go there, don't get me wrong. There's a ton of believers, I get it. But they're not a Christian organization, and yet they figured out they need God to help them. So they don't know God, and they know they need God. We know God, and we try to change without God. I mean, this is crazy. So let me read the first three tenets of of recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous. The first one is this. We admitted we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's the first step in recovery. Second step is this. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And the third step of recovery, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. So people that don't know God know they need him to change themselves, and yet we know God and we try to change ourselves without him. This is crazy. So if they can admit they need God to change, then maybe we can too. God can help you do it, but you're gonna have to start with him. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We just take a moment to pray. Just wanna encourage you in this prayer time. Just to admit it that you need God. You tried already on your own. I have too. I can't. I'm not that good. I'm not strong enough. God, I need you. I'm miserable. Oh, what a wretched man I am, says Paul says one of the strongest believers in all of the Bible, says the guy who wrote the half of the New Testament, I'm miserable. If he can admit that, maybe you and I can admit it too. If your head bowed, your eyes closed, maybe your prayer today is to say, God, that's me. I want to change. I just, I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of being addicted. I'm tired of being miserable. Whatever area it is for you, you need to change. Can you just admit you need God? Maybe today this is a wake-up call for you. If this is a wake-up moment that you don't want to go where you by default are headed, then just lift your hand high to God and say, God, thank you for this wake-up. Hands are going up all across our auditoriums right now. Thank you. Thank you for that. You're just saying, God, I admit it. I need you. Help me, Lord. I don't like where autopilot is taking me. Help me to make a change, to go in a new direction. Your head bowed and your eyes closed if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. We all need Christ. Most of us come to him at our point of need when we recognize, wow, I've tried life on my own and it's just not working. I need a Savior. Well, there is hope and his name is Jesus. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can receive Christ right now by praying a very simple prayer. Would you pray this prayer with us? You can say it out loud. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. 
I believe you died for my sin on the cross. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.